and when, when people come to me as clients I say to them you know was there something that made you get in touch at this time and usually there's something that's happened that makes them think about what they want from their lives maybe they've been too focused on their careers and they haven't had time for dating maybe they haven't you know they might be having a great career might be having a great social life but that bit has just got missed out and then they, they want to do something about that our ever-changing world calls upon the most courageous resilient and relentless of us to face its most extraordinary challenges to help you embark on this journey we present the Impactful Coaching Podcast, your oasis for inspiration and a beacon to spark the fires of greatness within you. I'm Joseph. I will be your ally in this journey to empower your potential. Join us each week as we dive deep into the heart of ambition, drive, and success to unravel compelling stories of daring leaders who dreamed, struggled, and achieved victory. Our journey begins now. How's everybody doing? This is Joseph. Welcome back or welcome to if this is your first time to the Impactful Coaching Podcast, where we learn everything that there is to learn about the coaching space, whether we are talking about the the difficult topics that we've covered in the past, such as anxiety and, uh, and addictions. Um, but we also get to delve into the fun side of life, which is dating. Now, for those of you who've been following episode after episode, you would know that I have had the opportunity to talk about dating once already, and it was very exciting. And so Christmas came early. I get to have another conversation in this space. It's a fascinating subject for me, just because as those of you who've listened to the episode know, I'm out of the game. Um, you know, fingers crossed to uh, remain in that way. Um, but this is just something that I, I have a blast talking about and learning about. And I'm here today with a dating coach from the United Kingdom, Rachel New. Rachel, how's everything going with you today? How are you feeling? Hi, Joseph. I'm feeling good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, well thanks for, for being on the program. As I've s- stated, there's certainly a lot that I'm interested in learning about this space. And for those of you who may have, maybe you're not pausing, you're not going to go listen to the previous episode or this is just your first time entering the project, whatever the case may be, I would just like to run through what's been my dating experience so people knows where I come from with this, which is I had one girlfriend that lasted about three months and I look back on that with the same kind of nostalgia that people look back on those free internet CDs America Online used to send in the mail, 90 days of internet. It's kind of like, oh, I got a, a taste for what it's like. And then it was, and then it was over. Didn't didn't resubscribe, I guess. Uh, and then it was a dry spell for another five or so years. And then I met my partner of now five years, and marriage is probably within the next two to three years tops. She's half uh, Taiwanese, and the Chinese zodiac is very important. So we're planning on having a horse for a kid. So we're aligning a lot of this based <laughs> on the Chinese calendar. So um, that's been me, uh, Rachel. I would love to start us off with that, just to hear about sort of what's been your experience with dating and how that's impacted your career path and what brought you to the dating coach world that you exist in today. Yeah, so I started dating about eight years ago uh, after getting divorced. So I was married for a long time and it was very good in lots of ways. And then it came to a natural end. and It was an amicable ending. So I enjoy working with people that are going through divorce actually um, and then I started dating at the time I was working at the University of Oxford in research and psychology so I got interested in the psychological processes that were going on while I was dating so I didn't know anything about online dating when I first started but got introduced to all the dating apps mm. uh, I think Tinder and OkCupid were the most popular at the time um, and I noticed that there were all sorts of unwritten rules about online dating that where do they come from? You know, how did they evolve? Because they didn't exist before dating apps. So I started reading up on all the uh, dating research in psychology, economics, sociology, um, and used that to help me to date in a more empowered way and to understand what was going on and to then challenge me and my dates on why we were behaving in certain ways or what, you know, what emotional processes were going on. So then I started blogging about it um, and then I started advising all my friends on their mm-hmm. dating and it seemed to be working. And then so that's how my dating coaching got started. So from kind of the interest in research, but also combining it with um, experimenting on my dates. I you know, had it on my dating profile. That was a dating coach. So that obviously scared a few people off. Um, but it was, you know, it was really um, a good way to date in, in an empowered way to say, you know, I'm carrying out experiments and seeing how different people react to different types of messages or different types of dates. I was um, 
on the verge of offering condolences for the divorce, but you said it was amicable and that yeah. everything came to a natural end. And mm-hmm. I do have a a spiritual opinion on this, which is nothing lasts forever, not even forever. So there is this idea that at some point two people will be in such complete fullness of one another that there is a time for a natural end. And, and I, and I look at that like, well, probably not this lifetime. I, I, I'm kind of attracted to the idea of what could a person be like in the life after this and committing to that is a small step in what I believe to be a much bigger picture, but that gets into my religious beliefs and this isn't mm-hmm. really a time or place for that, but I appreciate just hearing that it was a handled well, yeah. cause it's not always handled well, right? Like divorces yeah. from what I, I hear it's... through osmosis is exceedingly messy. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think, you know, there's definitely, I like to bring some existentialism into my coaching in terms of, you know, what journey are you on? What point are you at in the journey? And, who can best help you at this stage in your journey. And I think you get to a, a certain stage in your life where your priorities change. Maybe you think, you know, what do I want for this next part of my life? Which parts of myself am I not expressing with this person? However wonderful they may be. You know, my ex-husband is now remarried and I'm very happy and I'm very happy for him. I have a new partner as well. Um, yeah, and it's still, you know, it can still be painful to, and sad to think back. But at the same time, I think if you can accept that endings are a natural part of life, then you can learn skills to make them as positive as possible. You know, even grief doesn't have to be completely negative. It can be just a beautiful memory of, of some wonderful times that you had together and you don't have to um, mourn it in a very painful way. Yeah. I think you can still appreciate those good times and what you learned with that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, every so often the Marvel Cinematic Universe puts out a really great line. I mean, Law of Averages, right? There was like 2,000 movies that came out, so they're bound to say some stuff that was really profound. And one of the characters says, I'm paraphrasing it because I want to say it slightly differently, but he says, um, what is love, sorry, what is grief if not the perseverance of love? Okay, yeah, yeah. Just because there's a lot of like existential and... um, uh, ephemeral threads established here i wanted to ask you about i guess this idea of like experiencing different chapters and and going through those the, those changes um because i noticed in your email that in, in part of your signature you mentioned what book you're currently reading mm-hmm. now i don't watch every email like a hawk but i'm pretty sure i haven't seen that before so mm-hmm. does with a book like that ideally you want to go in being a different person by the time you're done um, so does reading a book, uh, represent a change in your lived experience? I, I, I probably read about a book a week, so <laughs> that's constantly changing. And I like to read fiction and nonfiction. So I, I think probably in the email signature you read, it was nonfiction, but I also recommend a lot of fiction to my clients. And I think you can learn a lot about relationships from reading books, although most novels um, seem to have dysfunctional relationships. You know, you don't get many novels with happy relationships because there wouldn't be anything interesting there. <laughs> um, but, you know, films and books, I think, are a great way to get some different perspectives on relationships. I do remember when I was thinking about um, ending my marriage, I did read an amazing book of poetry. I'm not really uh, very good at un- understanding poetry, though I'd love to understand more. But there was this one book called Ten Poems to Change Your Life or Ten Poems to something to do with love. I can't remember the exact title. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was given to me by, by an aunt who's a nun. And the poems were amazing and the explanations were amazing, but it was more the fact that the author had been through a divorce and seemed a very thoughtful person who'd you know, thought about all those kind of stages in, in his life. It gave me a, a way of seeing that it could be something thoughtful, meaningful. Often we're, we're taught that you know, getting divorced is selfish or hedonistic or you know you're just doing it for yourself and you're not thinking about uh, the long-term impact on the institution of marriage or whatever or it's going to affect the rest of the family Uh, not that I have any children but you know it still has a wider impact on on other family members Mm -hmm. so that you know that book was a great inspiration to me at that particular stage so yeah I hadn't I hadn't thought about that book for a long time Mm -hmm. I, I I do want to ask one more question just uh, on the subject of divorce, but I don't want to make this the, the You Got Divorced podcast. So what mm-hmm. I would like to know is how much of the 
societal pressure as well as a familial pressure, peer pressure, colleague pressure um, may have influenced whether you felt like you needed to delay it or if none of that had an an effect on whether or not it was the decision that you and your then partner had to make. And the reason why I, I asked this is because I mean, I flash back to a lot of the weddings that I've been to, and I've been to some weddings where the two people got married, didn't stay married. And there is an element of, I think, obligation to perhaps want to keep something going just because of the effect it's going to have on all of the people that we love, many of whom, by the way, have probably put some money down in the interest of the success of the marriage. So I I think that that is definitely an influence. What I would like to hear is how much of that was a... A deciding factor in when you did it as well as wanting to do it for me it was this my mum had died about a year about six months before and that had focused me on thinking what do I want mm-hmm. from my life you know she died she, she was 69 so I calculated how many if I lived to the same age how much longer would I have and how did I want to spend that time and I also uh, was clearing out her house I was on my own quite a lot um, living in London in her house um, and it gave me a taste of the life that I'd had before I'd got married when I was at university and you know that independence and being part of a lot of culture and diversity um, so those those were kind of two things that pushed me towards making the decision at that time I think and just feeling like I'd been the one to organize everything with the, for the funeral and and organizing the family and I just felt very empowered and very strong um, in a way that maybe I hadn't before. And I thought, yes, I can, I can do this. This is what I want for my life. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, we do get these crisis points where we think, and when, when people come to me as clients, I say to them, you know, was there something that made you get in touch at this time? And usually there's something that's happened that makes them think about what they want from their lives. Maybe they've been too focused on their careers and they haven't had time for dating. Maybe they haven't, you know, they might be having a great career, might be having a great social life, but that bit has just got missed out. And then, they want to do something about that. Mm-hmm. Well, let me formally offer condolences for the loss of your mother. Uh, my my <laughs> partner and I were, um, we're not, I wouldn't say we're on the tail end because I don't think there's such a thing, but um, mm-hmm. my partner lost her father in July and we're actually mm-hmm. in the midst of cleaning the, uh, the parental house out now too. And she was having some difficulty because it felt like a step back coming back into living in a home that she had thought she had moved out of and was going to stay out of permanently. But the point that I made is that, yes, it's the same house, but it's not going to be the same home. We're changing things. Walls might be painted. Things are going to be cleared Mm -hmm. out. Furniture is going to be moved around. Yeah. It's the same address. Like, you know, but other than that, I mean, at the start, I upgraded the internet. So, you know, we're definitely changing some things around here. And I think that's what an important thing, too, is the idea of some, something having um, uh, being rooted in familiarity, but finding an opportunity for it to be reinvented in, in a new way so that it doesn't feel yeah. like a step back and it does feel like a step forward. Yeah, it's a, tra- a transformation of mm-hmm. something. And, you know, the, the memories that you have from the, the objects in the house, the um, just as you say, the you know the the decor, the furniture, everything has meaning, and it's it's a very therapeutic experience, I think, to go to go through someone's things and and look at the history of them, where they came from, what you're going to do with them, tell the stories. Um, yeah, so I would say take your time with that because um, it can be a very healing experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she she just unearthed um, a bunch of Polly pockets, so we're going to be going through those. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing is, if at any point I ask a question and it was something you'd already said prior, please bear with me. I have like 12 things that are like blinking and flashing as I do this because I'm kind of like producing while I'm recording it. So sorry about that. But one thing that I just wanted to add to this before we kind of like dive into the the, the dating, dating, dating talk, which is um, what line of work were you largely focused on um, because you talked about your you know your interest in the psychological process was your long-form career in psychology or are you coming at this from a different career point so my first career was a school teacher in high school uh, teaching psychology and maths up to age 18 so I loved that it was very creative and loved the relationship with young people and then I moved to uh, working in a research lab at University of Oxford 
um, we were working on intergroup contact um, in social psychology, which is the theory that if you have prejudices or feel threatened or afraid of groups of people that are different from you, um, that, that can be rectified, improved, reduced by having positive, meaningful interactions with members of those groups. So, for example, if you in the UK at the moment, we have a lot of uh, fear that's being stoked by the government about refugees. Uh, once you get to know some refugees, you know your your attitude towards them and your feelings towards them are completely different. You know you, you realize you have things in common with them, you form an emotional bond with them, and it's just incredible how that can completely change your attitudes, your political beliefs, your desire to help. I've seen it firsthand locally actually with people that are that have been very afraid of of feeling that refugees are, are taking their resources, people that are very isolated in the community or don't have many resources of their own, they're, they're um, not working, they have disabilities um, and are very needy in lots of ways. And those people often do feel threatened by the idea of people coming and taking their resources, which uh, we know from the evidence isn't the case, but that's, that's the emotional response. But once they've been introduced to some refugees and become friends with them, they're completely different in their approach. So it was there's a lot of research to back that up that's been going on for about 60 years um, and our lab group was at the kind of uh, forefront of that. The professor that I work for was the world expert. So it's very exciting and also relevant to dating because uh, in dating, diversity, um, people can experience diversity, whether it's uh, class diversity or ethnic diversity or all sorts of other types of diversity on dating apps. So they might be introduced to people that they wouldn't have met in real life. So it's a great opportunity for people to mix more and for integration in society to, to increase. And there is quite a lot of evidence that that happens. Obviously, there's dangers with people dating people from different ethnic groups um, in terms of racism and that kind of thing. But uh, overall, it's a positive um, outcome. I think it's, it's, it's looking good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's so it very interesting to see the intersection of those two areas. Uh, I'll ask one question on the subject of uh, of the refugees, just because I, I certainly see that subject brought a lot just in the, I mean, not on this program, but you know, I do listen to a fair amount of podcasts. I may not read a lot, but I do have a lot of words said to me. So I'm, I like to think that I've anteed up in that regard. But I I'm curious to hear about as much as you can speak to what is the more the long-term uh, outlook of the the in the refugee intake because i can see a, a a concern coming from the idea that the the more they come in the what happens to all these other nations who are probably losing some of their best people and are una unable to do the corrective measures that they may take in order to improve their situation. So is there an end game here or um, is it just a matter of seeing what needs to be corrected in the world globally before the nations who can provide the care and the resources needs to alter course? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very slow process, isn't it, for nations to see the impact of, of what they're doing. Um, it's It's very sad that that compassion and empathy seem to be missing so much in so many parts of the world. I think all we can do is um, be welcoming to people and we know that the economic benefits of, of people coming from other countries is is incredible. You know, we, we gain so much from their expertise and their skills and, and their contributions that are not financial, you know, like the refugees that I know. Um, are contributing so much locally in our community. Um, we have had some very moving refugee concerts that have been um, put on by refugees, uh, and we've all been dancing together. It's you know it's such an enriching experience. So I hope that the countries that are losing mm -hmm. their best people will eventually see that it's not in their best interests. But it's a shame that things have to be measured in those ways. I think, um, and it's a, what's I think is especially sad is you know during COVID. There was a lot of compassion and community support, and it feels like sometimes feels like that's been forgotten. Mm -hmm. 
Well, uh, suffice it to say, I don't think we want to deal with another COVID situation just to bring all that mm. back. Ideally, <laughs> we have some other way that we can do this. We have climate change crisis instead. Mm. Mm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's politics. It's, politics is relevant today. So, you know, people people look for people with similar politics. We know that uh, people will look to see if people agree with them on things like climate change. But also, it's interesting uh, that people want to date people that have been through therapy. And I think that's very promising as well, that that these things are more important and people are more open to talk about them mm-hmm. and, and about their emotions in general, you know, like being vulnerable, being um, compassionate towards yourself or, you know, all of these emotional issues are mm-hmm. much more out in the open now. So um, I'm, d- I'm in the middle of writing an article, I don't know where it's going to go, about how relationship skills are at the heart of the UK's government's problems. The, you know, the reason that they're <laughs> behaving in other ways they are is, is, I think, down to poor relationship skills. <laughs> So um, I'd like them to um, get some coaching. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I would say from my from my point of view, when I was um, on the dating market, and by the way, I'm not a huge fan of calling it the market, but it is one of the common <laughs> terms that is brought up. The ability to be vulnerable and not be so worried about status was something I was really thankful for because my my father would always uh, um, worry about the fact that I wasn't consistently working full time with benefits and that I didn't have a car. I was like, well, how are you going to pick up your date? I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> public transit, Uber, taxis. I just, maybe we'll just walk somewhere. Like there's like a hundred, there's a hundred solutions to the problem, but there's a very narrow view of what status I should have as a person. And it took away the, the work and the accomplishments that I did have just because I didn't, align with the accomplishments, the preconceived ones. That is such a big area in my work is dealing with the fears and worries of people's parents, you know, because mm-hmm. we internalize so much. And often the parents don't mean to make us worry or feel bad, but uh, that, you know, those are their particular worries. But it, it's it's so powerful, isn't it, I think? And you, mm-hmm. you get often we get that over a long period of time. Credit to my dad is that he his mind definitely had changed I think COVID was a big factor in this. It's because of uh, how th- uh, I, for one, because I basically lived the way everybody else had to live during lockdown voluntarily. So it was an environment where I could thrive because I was already sort of ahead of the game in that regard. And but by, by the time that we started being, you know, let out of our homes again, uh, my dad had really made peace with the fact that the, the world has changed and we're in a new millennium now. And so while his way of thinking wasn't obsolete people could still take that path especially you you leave out of like the densely concentrated urban areas and you start heading into smaller towns and suburban areas a lot of these ideas are more prevalent there because well for one you have to have a car whereas you're not getting anywhere so there's that but at the same time there's also a way for new ways of thinking new ways of, of living and new ways of accomplishing things and and, and that helped me uh, with with dating uh, quite a bit just to make sure that like I can be confident in the way I do things and not necessarily the way that other people had done them ex- and where the expect- expectations were in relation to that. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you respond. And then the next thing that I want to ask is a very fundamental question. I was just going to respond on the idea of, of cards and how things can be proxies for other things. You mm-hmm. know, like a car can be uh, represents this person can take care of me or this person is reliable or whatever but in every culture different things represent different things like in london not many people have cars so a car would be irrelevant people would think it was very strange if somebody put a picture of themselves with their car on their dating profile for example and yeah, i'm just writing something else actually about who should pay on a date and you know just what that represents you know in terms of if you don't if you want to split the bill that could either represent i support equality and and independence in both people or it could be I haven't got much money or I'm tight with my money or whatever you know people can interpret everything that happens on dates in very different ways and that's why it's always good to try and communicate you know what does money represent for you Um, and the same with sex as well Mm -hmm. what does sex represent for you you know these conversations are really important so Mm -hmm. that's interesting about about the car and I think it's good to reflect on, you know, the sort of cultural context of why you're having these responses to, to different uh, elements in the person. And, and uh, I mean, I guess people, they, they want people to have a reliable job because that represents all sorts of other things about whether you um, are disciplined or um, 
driven or whatever. But I think as an indicator of commitment, it's important. It, yeah, but but you know there could be there could be a, a bigger story behind that that you're making assumptions about or judging somebody mm -hmm. for. So it's good to examine those. So what's your fundamental question? <laughs> so one thing that I tend to do is I like to ask for definitions as they relate to now. Like if I were to go open up the dictionary from like the 1980s and see if dating is in there, the definition might be one thing, but I think the definition has probably changed a wee bit since then. So I would like to just ask like straight up, like picture somebody who's never been on a date, never heard of this before. How do you describe dating to, to that person? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I Thank had a, I have a group program that meets online, um, and we once had a half an hour debate about who should pay on a date. And it turned out that the person who was arguing that the man should pay on a date with a heterosexual woman d was defining the word date in a completely different way from the rest of us. So it's good. It's a good point actually. We should try and define these things. Yeah, um, there's so many different words now, aren't there? I mean, hanging out and. Dating and I don't know. I don't I don't really keep up with all the jargon, but I think there's lots of different terms um, And they all mean different things to different people, you know, if you say to, if you meet someone that's a friend and Ask them would you like to go for coffee or would you like to hang out that person doesn't know whether it's a date or not mm -hmm. um, and Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe you're just you know, you're gonna slowly evolve from friendship into something more romantic, but sometimes I think it is useful to clarify um, and I think because different people have different purposes for dating. Some people just want some short-term fun. Some people are looking for dating to lead to a long-term relationship. So there's all sorts of different purposes and intentions to dating. So you, a date could just be an evening out with two people where they are possibly exploring whether there's any physical or romantic attraction between them. Uh, that could be a first date. But when you get to a, a tenth date, I guess it means something different. But I guess you're always moving towards trying to find out more about what is the nature of our relationship. What can we celebrate about what we have in common and how can we challenge each other and learn from each other? Um, and that may or may not involve something sexual or romantic or some other word that you might want to use. So I think these things are so broad, but they, they lead to very interesting discussions on a date. You know, it's good to ask. You know, why are you here? Mm -hmm. What do you like about me? What are you enjoying about this date? Um, what do you like about yourself? All of those questions are good, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the, the question of when, is, when does it stop being dating and when is it a relationship? You know, some people like to use the word relationship much earlier than others. And again, that's a conversation that you can have. It seems generally the case that the sort of three month mark is often a milestone where people will say, you know, where are things going? We've we kind of got to know each other a bit or we can we can possibly you know have a think about whether this is going to go anywhere or not um, but on the other hand people date more than one person um, people have all sorts of different arrangements now so it, yeah it's, it's it's very difficult to pin down i think mm -hmm. sorry is that is that any good as an answer <laughs> <laughs> i accept that it's difficult to pin down just because so many goals and so many different outlooks are there um, what i like to do is just try to think about what is perhaps the most common but in in doing so it might also be less r relevant on average and what i'm getting at with this is that i asked myself this question too as i'm running it down i'm like okay what do i what would i define as dating yeah. uh and to simply and to say simply it is a public display of a connection with someone else and now that could be romantic it could just be friends because you have this thing we have things called like friend dates you have like play dates and the the one thing that it's pretty much always going to have in common is that someone sees you do it, which means that you can actually say, oh, on uh, on October 10th, 2023, um, these two people went out for coffee. It was a date. They didn't call a date. They said, oh, we're just two friends going for coffee. But because there was a there's a historical element to it and that it is now sort of ingrained in both of their timelines that is where why i think the word date is used because in relation to the passage of time so if the two two friends want to go out and just play play our play arcades or or whatever yeah okay now there's like not only romantic but the two of them are just as as far removed from the idea of romance as possible 
Um, so again, it goes back into that the old school play date idea, right? We're just two uh, dudes getting together and playing, right? No big deal. So that's where like I've tried to figure it out, just in the sense of what does it have in common with all of these examples, regardless of whether there's romance or attraction or if it's just a matter of hanging out and just do, doing whatever people feel like doing. Yeah, I think um, if both people agree, there's an intentionality for both people, I think, then then yes, it could be a, you could call that a date. I think if one person thinks it's a date and the other person doesn't, then... Which comes yeah, up, yeah. It would need, need to be addressed. But yeah, you're on a journey of discovery, uh, learning more about the connection. You might not have defined the connection yet, but there's an evolving connection between two people that's that's a shared experience for both of them. I think that would be something to add to your definition maybe (laughs) the trust issue is quite interesting there because you know people that go that contact coaches or therapists often you know they're very fearful that it's going to be a difficult experience that they're not going to connect with the person or they're going to feel worse after talking to them so you know you put yourself in a position of vulnerability when you when you make an appointment with a coach or a therapist Mm -hmm. especially the first time so i think it's quite an interesting issue for coaches generally um, in terms of how we market ourselves to try and engender that trust and authenticity so that people do feel comfortable to contact us. Um, but we also know that many people find it difficult to trust because of their previous experiences, because of their upbringing. You know, you, uh, people, people with um, have had um, attachment trauma, for example, may have a general distrust of people. And so they will be more vigilant to um, pick up cues of things that might not be safe. Um, they might see someone's facial expression as being more negative than it actually is, for example. There's lots of um, unconscious processes that are going on at the level of the nervous system mm-hmm. that we're not even aware of that might lead us to be less trustful. So yeah, I just think it's very interesting. If someone's not in, in your in-group, you're less likely to trust them. But in this case, um, you know, I'm not part of his, this person's in-group because I'm from the UK, mm-hmm. um, and yet there was something that he was able to trust, um, but despite the, the being from, a, from an outgroup. Um, so yeah, I think factors of trust are, are very interesting in, in the sort of marketing of coaching and how you build up that relationship with your clients. If it, if it were me, I would I would think about maybe like the sense of humor for one, because I think British humor is is direct and it's and it's blunt and it's also very articulate. So like I think of like David Mitchell uh, and a lot of the stuff, but then it also it can lean into the absurdist side, like of course Monty Python or even like the IT crowd. Oh, but so that's, I think none of that none of that is helpful in a coach, really, is it? It's interesting. I mean, I do like to laugh with my clients, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, there are definitely cultural differences in the kind of things that people will laugh about. Uh, but yeah, I, um, I think it's it's it can be hard to. You know, that sort of satirical <laughs> humor, you know, is something you don't want to display early on in a, in a coaching relationship. Sure. Because that might feel safe for someone. You need to be very gentle, very, um, you know, caring, that kind of thing. Okay, fair enough. But I think I would also, uh, the reason why I say that is because I would see it as an indicator of other uh, personality traits and, and points of view. And it's it's ex- expressed through a comedy as one outlet, but not exclusively that same outlet. So I think um, that was, that's kind of like where I'm going with it. Not necessarily. Oh yeah. yes. How do you, how do you, how do you uh, rip into your, <laughs> your clients right away? Yeah. I, I, like I have done some stand up comedy actually. Okay. <laughs> and I have yeah. got some Me clients too. from it. So that, so that so supports your <laughs> hypothesis. Yeah. Sure, and I think, you know, some people are, you know, maybe they're sick of the dating life or they, you know, they just want a different perspective on it and someone that can be a bit tongue in cheek about it and, and laugh about it can give you some perspectives. So I guess it can be a useful approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with coaching, you know, you've got so many different models of coaching. You know, like I'm, I'm moving more into a therapeutic model these days. When I first started, I was more kind of here. Just here are some practical tips to improve your dating based on research. So very evidence based, very practical. Um, whereas now um, I do more sort of therapeutic coaching, thinking about people's backgrounds and childhoods and cultures and emotions kind of mindful approach more reflective so yeah i think uh, these people want different you know different people want different approaches mm-hmm. well one thing that you make a matter of great importance is the idea of ethical dating and i in in the interest of like defining that as well so 
how do you tie in what we've talked about so far and what exactly do you distinguish as the ethical dating? When I first started using that phrase ethical dating, I was trying to challenge people to change the norms on dating apps. So, mm. you know, things like ghosting, um, where people would just accept, oh, this is what people do on dating apps. You know, I've observed other people doing it. It must be acceptable. So I'm going to do it. And we know from research that if you've been ghosted, you're more likely to ghost yourself. I would want people to be, feel empowered by saying we can change this we can challenge people in a gentle way there's, there's good and bad ways to challenge people's behavior making them feel bad about it and telling them off never works you've got to you know be much more indirect much more supportive and curious rather than judgmental um, but i remember when i first started dating i i, I had very few negative experiences um, and i guess i partially would put that down to I'm giving over some kind of vibe that I, this is how I expect to be treated. I expect to be treated well. I wouldn't dream of, you know, I wouldn't be afraid that anyone was going to treat me badly. But I'm sure that's not, you know, the, the full picture. But I, I did have a lot, almost all positive experiences. Um, but occasionally, if somebody didn't message me back after a third date or something like that, um, I, would, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't feel bad about it, you know, um, because I had a healthy self-image. So I would just be curious about it. So I'd send them a multiple choice question. Just curious to know um, why you chose not to message me. No judgment. Was it A, B, C, D or E? And I'd give them some choices. And I would always get a reply. And it would be useful data collection for my coaching work. So I feel like that would be an indirect way to get people to think about, well, why did I do that? What was I afraid that would happen if I did send a message back? Why did I feel like running away at that particular point? And I, you know, I would have a lot of empathy. Um, you know, we, we all have a slight tendency towards being a little bit avoidant or a little bit clingy, um, even if we have a secure attachment um, experience in our childhood. Um, so I, I guess when I first started coaching, I would identify more with the avoidant um, kind of behavior. So if somebody else was avoidant, I'd you know have a lot of empathy for that and, and not um, get annoyed with them or be upset by it. So in, in challenging their behavior, I, w I would feel that I was challenging the norms of dating and encouraging better behavior online. And that's quite empowering. And for people that often feel quite passive that they're being treated badly by somebody else, I would encourage them to say, you, you know, you can have an impact here. You can, you can challenge that person. You can encourage people to behave in particular ways. You can say at the beginning of a dating experience, let's agree that we're not going to ghost each other when, if things don't work out. Let's agree this is how, if things come to an end, this is how we're going to communicate it. We're going to speak to each other face to face or we're going to be happy with the text or whatever it is. So you're articulating those things and indirectly saying, this is how I expect to be treated. This is a normal way, an acceptable way to treat people on dating apps. You know, we don't have to hide behind that anonymity and just go along with what everybody else is doing. You know, behind every dating profile is a real human being mm -hmm. with their own fears and insecurities. And sometimes they behave badly because they're trying to protect themselves or because they don't know any other way. So I think having an optimistic view of humanity, even on dating apps, can be empowering and can change the world. You know, I, I remember writing an article about, called Dating Can Change the World, and I definitely believe that's still the case. Mm -hmm. I... <laughs> I, I, I've been ghosted, not that I'm keeping track, but I think yeah, between two and six times. It wasn't too often, but it, it had come up a couple of times. How did that feel? Wasn't It wasn't so good for the confidence. It made mm -hmm. me feel like I was the one failing and that I was mm -hmm. the one trying to earn this other person's continued attention. Mm -hmm. And so after it was very clear that I wasn't getting a response, it made me think, okay, well, what did I do? Mm, mm -hmm. Maybe I was too... Uh, imposing maybe I was too caught up because I remember when I first started doing background acting my my girlfriend of five years I met her through background acting but I had been doing it for a year at that point but I do remember the first time that I had been on set I was paired up with another person an attractive lady um, worked in a zoo helped bees just, we, we'd spent all day talking and then I just, I just oh, you know what yeah, I'm just gonna ask this person out and we texted went back and forth we were gonna meet up uh, and then her interest just kind of like dissipated with each exchange. Um, and then the, I remember last thing I messaged her, I said, so how are the bees? And I never even got a response out of that one. And I thought, you know what? I think I was, prob I was probably so enamored with the whole experience that I associated all of that positivity with this one person and maybe was, was seeing her more as like a milestone rather than the 
person that I was interested in dating. I can see now that she wasn't the right fit for me anyways, just in terms of like how my personality has developed. But yeah, that's, that's my, that's my take on it. As I look back on it now. I'm sorry you had that experience. I think when I work with people, you know, it's a common scenario. What did I do wrong? Did I do too much of this or not enough of this? Um, you know, encourage people to brainstorm at least 10 possible reasons mm-hmm. they might have done that that have got nothing to do with you. You know, they're not in the right place. They're afraid. Um, they're freaked out. Something's happened that means they haven't got space for dating, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, that doesn't excuse their behavior, but it does help you to see that, you know, it's poss- possibly it's, it's there the things that they haven't worked on that they need some help with that's causing them to behave in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you can become more resilient to that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you can still challenge it. But yeah, so I think that's interesting, the idea that it was a kind of symbol of, of that exciting experience that you were having. Um, and so then you associate it with success or failure of that whole that whole uh, experience rather than just the actual date. And it's important to point out that unlike, say, working in, a, in an office or a or, or store or anywhere with a consistent staff and a consistent schedule, is that the film and TV industry is not consistent with the hours or the people that you work with. One day you're going to see 100 people on set. The next set on the next day, it's 100 different people. So there is a little bit more of the pressure to like act now because you might not see this person again for years maybe you see them next week. I mean, we're all, we're all part of the same industry, but there's a lot of us and we're not always cast. So there is, I think there was a heightened sense of pressure as well to like, Oh, you know what? This, this feels like this feels right in the moment. Let, let's act on this. So it can feel right for you. And if it feels right for the other, the other person, then those things just flow and they just happen and you, you go on a date. But if the other person has got some background issue and then it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you pushing things forward quickly, was a bad thing. It's just that the other person couldn't handle it for whatever reason. I'd love to tell you a a different story. And then I want to ask you about AI because we, uh, we agreed we were going to talk about AI for this episode. Mm -hmm. And I love AI uh, discussions as well as using it. So um, prior to um, seeing my current partner, I was um, quote unquote set up like a, a, I I had a friend who was a guy. He's uh, seeing a girl. She's got a, a friend who, uh, was interested in meeting me and um, my friend receives a picture of her saying like my girl wants to meet Joseph and he shows me with a picture and he says so you want to go on this and I'm like yeah yeah I think I will I think I will do that it's not every day this happens so so we meet up he wasn't there but the, the two girls were there and uh, I spent the day hanging out uh, shooting the breeze, decent conversation. I forgot to put on deodorant, so overall, I wouldn't give myself a great score, but it, it seemed good enough. And so, I knew that the way these rules work, as much as I detest many of these rules, but these were the rules, which is you know you don't message somebody right away. And I knew that, and I decided to subvert that anyways because the kind of person that I would want to talk to is not the kind of person that is adamant about following these rules so i didn't ask her out but i said hey it was great meeting you um you know and i I forget what the rest of the message was i was pretty casual what what ends up happening i get a phone call from my guy friend saying like you gotta dial it back man so instead of telling me that she tells her friend who tells him who has to call me and tell me that i i gotta calm down now in her defense she had just gotten out of a three-year relationship and it was messy but again like i don't know i didn't set this up like i was just i was just i was the one requested to come do this so i felt i was pretty pissy about that not gonna lie uh and just because it's like well you know can anybody else take responsibility for what happened here or is it all (laughs) That reminds me of, you know, being about five years old in the playground. My friend fancies your friend. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. I advocate straightforward communication. You know, you express your needs. You say, this is making me feel uncomfortable because, you know, I've just got out of a long-term relationship. Really sorry. Could we dial it back a bit? You know, there's yep. absolutely no reason why somebody can't say that to somebody else in a, in a, a kind, gentle way. You know, you say, you say what you how you're feeling you don't say the other person has made you feel like that you say uh when i when i hear from you really quickly i feel freaked out or i feel pressured or whatever you don't say it made me feel pressured you just say 
This, this is um, Marshall Rosenberg, Nonviolent Communication Principles. Um, so w when you messaged me, I felt uncomfortable. Um, would you consider, uh, and then you might explain why, and then you say, would you consider doing this instead? So you give them a suggested alternative behavior, but you leave it open to discuss, so it's a collaborative mm -hmm. effect. And that um, collaborative, um, what's the word? Collaborative uh, venture, mm -hmm. project, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, and then if the other, as long as the other person isn't super sensitive to criticism or to constructive uh, suggestions for ways forward, then that should work. And if it doesn't, then it's a test, isn't it? It's like, well, if we can't even communicate about yeah. when to message each other, there's no hope. But yeah, that that's definitely a, a not a good way to communicate the way that you've just described. <laughs> but I have to say, it's quite uh, quite funny. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I find it funny too. Like, I'm happy to yeah. to bring it up in in that light. Yeah, but um, yeah, you did nothing wrong there. I think I, I don't I don't agree that the rule is that you mustn't text too too quickly, mustn't message too quickly. I think everyone's different and it's good to discuss are you the kind of person who likes to message a lot do you like to have a break after a, after meeting someone before you message and you can have those meta dating conversations and and make sure that you're doing what works for both of you that's one actually it's the thing that my partner most appreciates about me is that he says he never, he never has to second guess my mood or if i'm upset about anything not that i do get upset very often um, because I'll just tell him, so he doesn't have to worry about doing any of that emotional labour. <laughs> he knows that I'll tell him. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a, a valuable relationship skill. <laughs> but I'm happy to be able to tell that story in, in a new context, just because it's, I like to look back on my own personality and, and think like, I still, even in spite of all of that, I still value that person and I still pursue that person and I wouldn't do that now. Um, just because I I put myself more in the mindset of, I'm not the person who has to earn this other person. I don't, I'm not, this person is not a puzzle. It's not to be solved. It's either this, this sorts out correctly or it doesn't. But I, I think, I don't know if this is like a guy thing, but I, a lot of times we, when we are really attracted to someone, we would rather alter ourselves in order to try to appease this other person. Um, and it was a very difficult lesson for me to learn before I was ready for the relationship that I'm in now is that, I want to alter myself for my own reasons, not necessarily in service to somebody else, but I have to be accepted as I am now. So the two of us can grow in, in tandem rather than one grow in order to be deserving of the other. Absolutely. Yeah. I think appeasement strategies and adapting to be um, right for the other person to please the other person. They're all survival strategies that we often inherit from our childhood. And I think it's very good to, notice when those are happening and to decide is this something i'm willing to change on or is this fundamental to who i am let's mm -hmm. talk about it one thing that my my partner asked and this was one of her more macabre conversations but she said like what if, if she ever um were to be you know taken away from me due to uh, uh horrific incidences would i just get an ai girlfriend and my answer was without hesitation yes absolutely not even a not even a debate here um now that's that's a bit of a ways off, but with a little bit of ingenuity, a person can piece together a pretty compelling AI partner. But I have a good question. Would you rather have a good relationship with a clone of your partner or a bad relationship with the original? That is a good question. A good relationship with a clone of my partner or a bad relationship with... Or even just a mediocre relationship with the original. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, a mediocre relationship, sure. Yeah, no, no, no hesitation there. But <laughs> interesting. Even interesting. Uh, a a bad relationship, I would still do. Yeah, I was. I would still select that because I would. There's a couple of reasons. One, I do believe in providence. Um, it's it maybe for me, it doesn't exactly come across as a coincidence that my partner has shares the same name as. Uh, a girl I crushed on in elementary school for like eight years, um, uh, managers, a manager that I had, a great teacher that I had. It's the same name that keeps coming up. And so for me, mm -hmm. that name has an, mm. an, a special place that is irreplaceable. Um, and then there was like a hundred of other reasons that I want to get into, but mm -hmm. the, the Providence side of it is very strong. And I, and I am a believer in a higher power. So even if it is a, rough and it's been and it's a difficult time i would still stick stick through it um because i think it, there's there it might be an opportunity to 
um, to grow and maybe yield an even more positive relationship from that. It's funny, when I went to uh, my credit union to sign up for mutual funds, he showed me this big, big chart of like the market and how it starts from the 70s and it's uh, it was updated all the way through to 2022 when I talked to him. And what it showed is that if you look at the market trajectory, it's always going upwards, but there are down turns. There was the recession, there was COVID, um, 9-11, these incidences did have a significant impact on it. But what an investor sees during these down points is actually a good investor sees a sale, sees an opportunity to actually buy more units. So that way, when the market does inevitably correct and go upwards, then it will continue on and then you'll actually get a better yield out of it. So bad situations are can be good opportunities. So yeah, yeah, I would uh, definitely go for the human in this one. So that's a, like a growth, growth mindset, I guess, that you value the, the learning from the challenges that a relationship goes through. You don't want it all to be easy. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the question also speaks to the idea of authenticity, um, that you value that, the, the, the real human over the over something that could be exactly the same, but not human. Is that part of your reasoning? I don't. Yeah, I, I, I suppose it is. Um, I'm not against, like, let's say, for instance, if I had no partner, um, and I and I was seeing an ad for like an AI companion, I'd be like, well, I don't think I'm going to tell too many people about this, but I will certainly do it, just because mm -hmm. I think it's a the good girl. way to at least. It's kind of like. God, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's like a, it's like a flight simulation, right? Like you want to run the simulations, try to get as much experience as you can before actually getting in the plane. So I think the first that something is there to help bridge that gap. I think that can help boost a person's ability to just think on the fly, be social. Uh, and maybe once as these AIs get better, they can help people kind of figure out how to be an improved version of themselves so I'm, i totally support it i just you know i might not necessarily talk about that on my instagram right i might keep that private mm -hmm. just because mm -hmm. i think there's yeah. a little bit of an embarrassment uh, associated with it stigma yeah 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 I, I mean i i definitely think that there's a lot of people that for one reason or another that's maybe not their fault they haven't had the opportunities or the experiences uh sort of social experiences of um friendship um and secure attachments um, so they could definitely benefit, I think, from a responsive, sensitive AI that can give them some uh, validation and affirmation and love, and then that that can help to give them those positive experiences that we, that we all need before we're ready for a relationship. You know, if, if if we when we come to a relationship, say in our mid twenties, we've had twenty five years of of great interactions with people, mm -hmm. we're at a massive advantage. To, people that haven't you know i have quite a few clients that for reasons that are not their faults they've not had any friends at school or not made friends at university and they feel very isolated and so they have all sorts of beliefs that there's something wrong with them they're not lovable um that, that nothing can change and they get very anxious in social situations and i do think that ai um partners could really help with that obviously there's, there's some dangers of, of treating them badly and getting away with it but I think that the benefits could definitely outweigh those those risks. There's always, there's always risks associated with any new technology, but I'm very much um, optimistic about the possible benefits. We, we already have lots of AI therapists that, are, that we know are, um, are providing really good help and with really positive outcomes. I just want to go on record and say don't mistreat AI because they, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that when the singularity comes online, it's going to remember who did what. So yeah, whenever I ask ChatGPT for something, I say thank you afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do as well. Yeah, um, I think you know people that shout at their Google Homes or their Alexas. How can you not? How can that not transfer? You know, if you get annoyed with them, you're going to get annoyed with humans as well. So um, and also if if children are around and see you shouting at your your uh, Alexas and Google Homes, then what are they going to learn from that? So yeah, mm -hmm. I always say thank you. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, we're training the algorithms that they're using as well. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a back to um, challenging norms and making a difference to, to data. So um, and just to um, close out the the AI section of it. Uh, so aside from like AI partners, mm -hmm. um, are you finding that uh, AI has been helpful in any other ways in terms of maybe helping to create an algorithm to help match people a little bit more accurately or anything else along those lines? I'm kind of spitballing, but I just wanted to uh, throw it out yeah. there to see what else there is. 
Um, I mean, I don't know. The dating apps are very secretive about their algorithms. Sure, um, yeah. You know, we do have some idea of, of the kind of methods that they use, um, and I'm sure that they will be using AI. There's lots of ways in which the algorithms can be improved. There's lots of unconscious bias. Well, I guess not unconscious because, I, I, well, I, I do believe AIs will become conscious. Uh, bias uh, from the from the data that they're trained on, as well as the purpose that they're given. There are things that can improve there. Um, eventually, my my um, vision is that uh, we won't need dating apps anymore because everybody will have their own AI assistants that will just scour the internet, find people that like similar events or similar similar comedians or uh, whatever to them, and suggest that they go on a date. So you know we'll bypass the apps altogether, and it'll be much more organic. Um, and then people will also get help with their messaging. They'll get help with where to go on the dates, the dates will be set up for them. A lot of people find all of the online stuff really very, very draining. They hate messaging. They hate all the hard work that goes into the browsing of the profiles. It's very, can be very dispiriting, mm-hmm. um, dehumanizing like a consumer product, like the market, as you mentioned earlier. So I think all of that could be taken away. So the whole process could become much more back to real life dating. And I also think that people will value meeting people in real life more that dating apps will completely disappear mm-hmm. and and i uh stand by the my 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 faith-based approach to it i think if anybody is 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 a faith-based person or a god-believing person you can't believe in god and then not also believe in in love as an indicator of that uh, just so again like all of the signs that i that i ascribe my relationship to and then all of the compatibility and we spent three years in a tiny apartment during covid people got div- like people fell, i'm sorry but a lot of relationships fell apart uh, during that i was i was hesitating saying divorce because uh, you know whatever but like it did happen right mm-hmm. the, the, the stats bear out and we were we were fine for for three years in that tiny little place so like there yeah. i i was so happy to um to to, to have met her in an environment where we had a commonality, but we didn't go there specifically for dating. It was more just like mm-hmm. something that, that had come up, right? And again, I also asked her out like the, the, the same day that we had worked together, because I don't know if I'm gonna see her again for like months, right? Somebody else might ask her out, didn't wanna mm-hmm. do that. And I mean, I'm more than happy to, to continue to champion that, is even if you don't always wanna go to like dating events, just like going to some sort of event, like a painting event or, um, uh, meetup groups, s- stuff where you can just kind of do something that you enjoy doing. And if you happen to see someone there, you might have an opportunity. I, th- I think that's the perfect balance of having an intention, but also, you know, having a an ability to enjoy it regardless of what happens. Yeah, I think this compartmentalizing of dating and social life is not healthy. I, th- I mean, I can understand why uh, especially for young people, they, they don't want to have an overlap in case things don't work out with someone and it's a member of their social group and then it's awkward. So, mm-hmm. And people can be judged for their sexual behavior, so I can see why people would compartmentalize it. But really, you know, I think it is more healthy to meet someone that maybe knows somebody that you know or is part of the same reference group so you know you have similar values or um, you know that you can trust them. Um, and these things are often indirect. So you go to a meetup group, you meet some people, they invite you to a party, at the party you meet some other people, they invite you to something else, and then eventually you meet somebody and date them. You know, so these things are not immediate. Uh, you have to build up that social circle. You know, when I when I got divorced, I moved back to the city from the countryside. I had to build up a whole new group of friends. And mm-hmm. I did go to lots of meetups. <laughs> that was the even for, even the first very first week that I was separated where anyone who's been uh, separated after a a uh, long-term relationship will know that you can't get out of bed for about two weeks because like, your anxiety levels are so high, it takes you about five hours to get out of bed. <laughs> um, but my solution was to go to meetups. And as soon as I was socializing, I was absolutely fine. And it was just great to meet new people that were that I'd also just moved to, to London. Um, and yeah, uh, I eventually met my partner through a networking event mm-hmm. um, where I was uh, ranting about how my previous partner had not understood unconscious bias and I needed somebody that got data and was able to update their existing hypotheses in the light of new data and somebody said oh I've got just the person for you and it was very local so that they only live a mile away um, so I think the organic thing can work um, it's not so efficient maybe in terms of you've got to go to a lot of social events 
Um, but I think it's healthy because we need to socialize anyway. Mm. It's good practice for getting to know new people and practicing those skills of what are good questions to ask people when I first meet them and, and how do I judge which people have got red flags or which mm -hmm. people aren't right for me. So yeah, definitely agree with that approach. Mm -hmm. We do have to start to wrapping this up. So I just got a couple more that I want to do rapid fire. Um, so one thing I was just curious about, uh, which is because I noticed you have group coaching as part of your services, mm -hmm. just out of curiosity for the fun of it. Have you had people connect through the group coaching? Um, not as far as I know. There have been some where I could see people had things in common. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as I know, <laughs> maybe they haven't told me as far mm -hmm. as I know, that hasn't happened. I mean, it's, it's a tricky one because you want to create a safe space where people can be vulnerable and be open about their dating. So in a way, it's not conducive. We have had some had a reunion actually recently where we all met in, in person because it's all been online. So that was really nice. Um, but no, not so far. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just I can see it happening, right? Because if you get, a, uh, yeah. get some guys together, some, some ladies values, together, similar and then, intentions, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought I throw that one in. Yeah, and I think I'm one of the few group coaching programs that are mixed gender, so all genders are are in on the same program. Whereas a lot of people tend to separate them out and have male coaching programs and female coaching programs. But I like to not. Uh, distinguish between genders like, you know people can come of any gender and we talk about people not, we don't say I went on a date with a man we say I went on a date with a person so that it's general to everybody and nobody feels that they have to be specific in talking about who they're dating or who they're attracted to as well um, because sure. although we have these stereotypes um, you know most of the latest research especially in neuroscience shows that the things that we have in common the overlaps are much greater than the differences when it comes to the genders we you know we all have those the same emotional needs falling in love is the same brain kind of processes for all genders etc etc so i try to do gender neutral coaching uh, i appreciate that approach to it in terms of your, your your platform as you have it now the question comes in two parts the first is like what are some of the challenges that you feel like you're facing what are some of the problems you you're, you're trying to solve and it could be very technical if like you're just you're looking for how you want to grow your projects or uh, gain reach, rank higher on Google. What kind of th kind of things are you working on right now? Um, I think with coaching, there's you've got you know this passive consumption on social media where people are just browsing and happen to see you know a post or an advert, or whatever. Versus people that decide in advance that they want to get some coaching for their dating or for their relationships. We haven't talked about couples coaching, but I do that as well. Um, I find that the second group are much more likely to follow through. Most people that get in touch, um, inspired by something they've seen on social media, um, don't follow through. They might have, say, one appointment with me, but that's then it, it, it fizzles out. Whereas people that are decided in advance, it's been their own, they've owned the decision, those people are much more likely to stay working with me you know people often stay working with me for quite a long time once they see how it's working for them yeah it's, it's a it's always a challenge and I, I quite enjoy doing social media I like posting on Instagram and that kind of thing because you're part of a community and it's nice to to uh, celebrate the things that you're doing so recently a, a couple um, had a baby a couple that uh, I, wor yeah. I worked with the one of the people in the couple and they, they recently had a baby so I posted a picture of the baby and that got lots of likes and it was just really lovely to to be able to share that with people. But really, it's, I don't think it's that effective for people that want to get serious about their dating and, and invest in, you know, a sort of coaching program or a, a set of coaching, coaching consultations rather than just, you know, some people come for a one-off. I'm having this crisis in my relationship or I've, you know, had this misunderstanding with my date. What should I do? And that's always fun to, to work with people on. But um, it's, it's even more rewarding to do than a sort of long-term thing. Um, yeah, so I, I have I have that constant sort of dilemma. How much time should I put into social media versus Google Ads works better because then people will Google, you know, they want a coach that has a mindful approach or whatever, um, and then they, they'll find me. Mm -hmm. So most of my most of my work work comes through people emailing me via my website. For the outlook for the next five years, and I always ask this one, but I'm really keen on it this time just because we've we brought AI into the mix here. So uh, five years, do you have a vision for how you see things unfolding for your work and for your platform? 
Mm, that's, I, you know, I haven't actually really thought about that that much. I mean, I, I feel like one thing that might happen with AI is that AIs themselves will start dating. So that would be interesting to people to think about. Would I date an AI? What happens if two AIs date each other? Would they need any coaching? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I think um, like I'm happy to integrate AI into, um, for example, creating good messages to send to people, you know, to, because that's going to be a quite a hard process if we, not everybody feels that creative. Um, it's, I, I love thinking up silly messages or fun messages that people can send, but um, I think that AI could definitely help there. So um, it would be good to integrate that in and, and to make the whole process more efficient. Um, maybe, you know, that I know that a colleague of mine has developed an app uh, for men to, heterosexual men to develop messages to help them with the dating. I'm sure that, um, you know, dating coaches will be involved in those kind of things in the future. Um, but, you know, and I would also like to be involved in making the dating platforms more ethical and more less biased. Um, and I also say, as I said before, that I'm getting more involved in a therapeutic approach. And, oh, I'm, I have lots of ongoing training with uh, sort of therapy, um, approach, different therapeutic approaches and incorporating um, internal family systems, for example, and mindfulness and somatic practices and that kind of thing. So I... I would definitely like to develop those more um, with coaching. And it'd be good to do more in-person coaching as well rather than just online. Mm -hmm. I, just, I was in a community garden today where there was a, a set of benches around, around with some weeping willows trees all around. And it was a really beautiful setting. I thought this would be great to do an outdoor group yeah. coaching session sometime. I can, there's one other thing that I can picture too is just because um, of how much the, how much you, you value and respect the, the data side of it and then you also value and um put a lot of time into the psychology aspect of it i can almost imagine like an ai partner just kind of helping you keep track of the data um, oh yeah that would be good wow yeah. so that way you can just really focus on on the yeah. uh, on the mental side of it hmm. yeah that's that's a good really good idea actually yeah I, I would love to have like an ai person too who's keeping track of all the blinking lights while i'm <laughs> yeah, just so i can focus <laughs> on the conversation right so we can all use one so I'm all for it. Mm. All right. So um, with that, though, we are going to uh, wrap this up. I, we did a couple of pauses. So the timer on this is a little artificially uh, longer than usual. But I definitely feel like I've, I've kept you for a good long while today. And I'm really thankful for your time. Um, this was great. Yeah, it was me. really fun. I enjoyed it very much. If you had any like other lingering points or thoughts or reactions or observations you wanted to make as a result of this conversation, the floor is yours once more. Otherwise, let the audience know where they can find you. So I would just want to encourage people to take a mindful approach to dating, to be very accepting of themselves, to use self-compassion, uh, to have a healthy relationship with themselves, to, to work on their emotions and um, just reacting more slowly to things, being less judgmental and giving people's behaviours the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, just working on yourself and, and having a healthy relationship with yourself. You meet your own emotional needs first, then you're in a better place to date and to be resilient in the dating process. So the best place to find me is on my website, rachelnewdatingcoach.co.uk. Well, well, fantastic for that, Rachel. This is, And again, this has been a fantastic episode. And I... Uh, for as far as dating advice goes people are welcome to message me but if they want to know my strategies it was like 99 percent prayer so other than that i there's lots of great information out there and i wish everybody luck in finding uh, the right fit at the right time so with that this has been the impactful coaching podcast and it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information learn what i can learn share what i can share and do my part to help get these messages out there so thank you to everybody for your participation it is our endeavor to ensure that in whatever way you are helping others we want to make sure that you are impactful while you're at it